This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in South Florida, podcasting to you from our offices in West Palm Beach. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know full well you cannot do most of what they're recommending? Your church isn't big enough. You don't have enough staff. There's not enough money or talent or creativity to pull it all off. Well, you've come to the right place. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have because this is church for the rest of us. All right, so welcome to the very first episode of Church for the Rest of Us. This is our podcast, and we're here in South Florida doing our best to take the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in South Florida. Today, I'm here with Steve Wright. Steve's our executive pastor here at Family Church. And let me just tell you a little bit about my relationship with Steve. Steve and I have been friends really for about 15 years. We knew each other for a long time before he ever came to work here at Family Church. He's been here for five years. And the truth is, when I came to Family Church in 2008, I immediately began trying to talk Steve Wright into coming on to our team. He resisted all of my <laughs> advances for four years, and he was very selfishly staying in his dream house that he and Tina, his wife, had built in North Carolina, where his children lived and where they'd grown up, and we had a fantastic ministry, had a great church. And finally, after four years of begging him, I got him to come on our team at Family Church. Steve, we would not be where we are today at Family Church without your work over the last five years. It's such a joy to get to serve with you. Well, it's an honor to be here, Jimmy. We're having a lot of fun, and obviously these are exciting days. I think the key was when you got Tina to start crying. That's right. We pulled that off. We were here. Well, what happened is I took Steve and Tina out to eat. We were in Louisville speaking at a conference. Both of us were speaking there, and I took them out to eat, and I knew that the number one holdup on this whole deal was Tina Wright. And Tina has a very tender heart for the Lord, and I knew that if I could get Tina engaged in the mission at Family Church that she would drag Steve's behind all the way down here. And that's exactly what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's true. That was a good strategy, wasn't it, Steve? It worked. Well, Steve, look, we are here talking about how to do church for the rest of us. Steve, why don't you talk with our listeners a little bit about why we feel this podcast is necessary and why we feel like it's important. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, obviously, you know, as we think about this, I mean, we're both very busy. And when I think about Honestly, just the whole idea of where God's brought us and the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord and really our love for the bride of Christ. I mean, how could we not, you know, invest back, you know, in the church, right? And so I can't think of the conversation and the question that you just asked without really going back to my first church. I remember being at North Lake Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia, and a church of about 125 people. And Pastor Tony Smith, you know, took me under his wing, thought he would invest in me and encourage me. And I remember going to my office the first day and I was the new youth pastor and I did not have a clue what to do. But you knew where to look, (laughs) didn't you? And so, you know, fortunately, someone before me had left a yellow and orange youth specialties clip art book on my desk. That's got all the best ideas. That had all the best ideas. So Uh I didn't know where Honestly, to turn, I didn't have really a clue. I was a new Christian and, you know, really felt isolated. And really, I thought, you know, if if this ever works, if things ever catch traction, I want to be accessible 
And I know that's your heartbeat. And so this is a way for you and I to give back and for people who maybe are in small rural areas or churches that are kind of beat down or they're trying to revitalize this way for us to really make ourselves accessible. And then secondly, Jimmy, I think about just scalability. You know, sometimes you hear people talk about, well, we pulled this off on a shoestring budget. Well, quite honestly, when you and I, when we began the work here that we were trying to pull off, we didn't even have shoestrings. That's exactly right. We were barefoot. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, what would it look like for us if we were to roll some things out and try some things in our church context where, quite honestly, you know, didn't cost a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources, didn't have the staff available and so the great thing about the things that you and I are going to be talking about in the, these podcasts are these are things that pastors and church leaders can take and actually apply without spending a yeah, lot of money. Because I don't know, I started in a small church as well. And even when we came here to First Baptist Church of West Palm in 2008, we had very little resources, very little money. Our staff didn't have a lot of broad experience. And so I would go to these conferences trying to figure out what to do. And when I'd get to these conferences, I'd hear these amazing speakers talk about all these incredible things that were happening in their churches all around the country. But I would come home, instead of being inspired, I would just be depressed because I would think there is just no possible way that we can do the stuff that they're talking about. Right. I'm not talented enough. Look, if I could preach as good as Andy Stanley, and that's the if that's the secret to drawing a large crowd or building a large church, then my gosh, I would have done that a long time ago. <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, so, and I don't have the staff. I don't have the creativity. I don't have the magnetism of Rick Warren. I don't have the organizational genius of Bill Hobbles. And so when I would come back, I would just think, wow, we're sitting here with no money, dilapidated facilities, a kind of a backward-looking church. We've, we've got a an old school style that really doesn't look like the present or the future. And I would just think, how in the world are we going to move this forward? Well, Jimmy, that's really why I think the third reason is so important, because really the context, I think a lot of pastors that would listen to this podcast are the kind of guys that would relate to what you personally have been through as a pastor, because the context of what you walked into, it wasn't the dream job. It wasn't the cush job. And so it's actually very relatable. And so I'd like for you to take just a few minutes before we get to today's topic and talk about really the context and what you walked into. Yeah. Kristen and I, when we first got married, we moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I was an MDiv student at Southern Seminary. Then I ended up doing a PhD there. I ended up teaching at Southern Seminary. I became a dean at Southern Seminary. I was also a teaching pastor at a large multi-site Baptist church, Highview Baptist Church in Louisville. And I I worked under the leadership of Dr. Kevin Ezel, who's now the president at the North American Mission Board. Mm -hmm. And so we had a really incredible job working under two great leaders. I was on the president's cabinet at Southern Seminary with Al Moeller, and then I was on senior leadership team at Highview Baptist Church with Kevin Ezel. And really, it was kind of a dream job, dream place. But we just felt God stirring in our hearts that God was going to do something new with us. And so there was a search committee from the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. They contacted me and they said, hey, we're looking for a pastor. And as I began to research that church and talk to people about that church and talk to that committee, I found out that actually First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach hadn't had a pastor in five years. Hmm, that's and interesting. Yeah, because Steve, what I've learned is that if a, if a search committee calls you and they haven't had a pastor in five years, right. you were not at the top of the original search list. <laughs> right. And so they had to work their way down to get to Scroggins. But actually it was God's timing because God was preparing me for them, yeah. preparing them for us. Right. And we just felt a strong 
strong urging from the Lord to come to First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. Now, we knew when we came here that the church had some issues. They had a couple of scandals having to do with pastors. One of the pastors had been literally run out of town by the Palm Beach Post. That's our local newspaper. Another really good man, godly man, had gotten caught up in a scandal that wasn't really his fault over giving, and it was a it was a kind of a big black eye for the church. The church had embraced kind of in the 90s when church began to change and the non-denominational churches began to take off and music began to change and the people began to dress down. Our church kind of doubled down on what we had been doing in the 80s and it really didn't work out that well. So by the time I came to First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, there was about a thousand people in worship. We had two services in English, we have a downtown baptist First Baptist Church, steeples in column, a prestigious address, but our facilities were dilapidated. There's paint peeling off the steeple and the parking lots were a mess. It was just, it was just didn't, didn't look very appealing. And then honestly, the people, after not having had a pastor for five years and scandals and all of that, a lot of the key leadership and key givers of the church had dispersed and gone to other churches. But what we did have was a great core of Jesus people praying, looking to the Lord, waiting on God to do something new. So that when I came, it really was an interesting time because I I literally came to a church that didn't just say, we're ready to do something new and follow a new leader. They really actually were. Now, what also happened when I came as I began to experience what was going on in the church is that I found out a bunch of stuff that I wasn't told during the search process. And I don't think anybody was being deceptive with me. I'm not even sure the search committee knew. But when I got here, our church actually was in terrible financial shape. I knew they had some debt, but they had $4 million of debt, but it wasn't debt to a bank because our finances were not in good enough shape to get a loan from a bank. Our debt was to a church member. And if a church member holds $4 million of your debt, and they want to sing four verses of Just As I Am, you, you do it. <laughs> you're going to sing them on You're going to do whatever they want because they, they've got you by right. the short hairs, and that is not a good situation for a church to be in. In addition to that, when I got here, I found out that there was $400,000 that had stacked up over the summer of unpaid bills, and there were vendors calling me and saying, if your church doesn't pay me, my business is going under, and you're the new pastor, and you need to do something about so it. So you had a honeymoon of all, like, Three days. <laughs> yeah, the honeymoon wasn't very long. So we had to borrow a, that $400,000 from another church member wow. just to pay the unpaid bills. And then we had to sit down with our staff and think, okay, what changes do we need to make? We had to fire 40 people that were good people who had done nothing wrong. And but even like the missionaries you had to... over. Yeah, we had to call 25 missionaries we had these long relationships with. And basically, we had to call them and tell them we weren't going to be able to fund them anymore. So there are all kinds of things like that. Wonderful conversations. They were not happy. I actually had a lady come and meet with me and she said, look, pastor, I'm a missionary. You cannot defund the missionaries. And I said, well, I, I literally had tears in my eyes. I said, I, the last thing I want to do is defund the missionaries. And she said, I'm not leaving here until you give me the $25,000 this church had committed to me. Well, what she didn't know is the previous week I'd gone into our executive pastor and I'd said, look, we have all these unpaid bills. We have all this debt. I need to know how much money we have in the bank. And he said, well, we have $3,256. <laughs> and I said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about savings, reserves. rainy day, uh, yeah. reserves. I'm talking about designated everything liquid. I need to know the total amount. I said, look, I just moved here from Kentucky. Are you telling me that I have more money in my personal checking account than this big old church I've come to pastor? And he said, 
do you have more than $3,256? And I did. Yeah. And so I thought, wow, this is, this is really going to be tough. But it wasn't just the money because you know what you have to do when you don't have enough money? You have to, you have to tighten your budget and you have to try to, you have to try to grow. And that's what we did. And as we began to grow, God began to meet needs and we began to try to do some innovative things and some aggressive things. We sold property and closed. We had a restaurant that was open six days a week. We closed the restaurant. That went over like a lead balloon because a lot of people like to eat there. We had a kitchen staff that was there to serve the events of the church and we let them go and close the kitchen. And we had a pregnancy center and we merge that with a countywide pregnancy ministry so we wouldn't have to fund that. We had a medical clinic with doctors and nurses in a pretty big payroll, and we spun them off into their own 501c3 so they could stand on their own. They still exist today, and we still have a great relationship with them and support them from our budget. But there were just a lot of things we had to change, a lot of things we had to do. But the bottom line is, for pastors who look at Family Church today and say, wow, that guy could never identify with me. I promise you that's not true. <laughs> right. I know exactly what it feels like to not have enough money. I know exactly what it feels like to look around the table in staff meeting and think we don't have enough talent. I know what it's like to look out into a bunch of empty seats when you stand up and preach. I know what it feels like to stand up and really be a little bit embarrassed about the music or whatever else is going on. I know what it feels like not to be proud of the church that you pastor. And the thing of it is, we've all been there but this is why this is church for the rest of us. We've all got to start where we are. We've got to take what we have, and we've got to do what we can and begin to move forward. And that's what everybody can do. Well, Jimmy, you know, that's exactly why I think, you know, our podcast is going to be so relatable. And, you know, our topic today is really why we've abandoned the regional megachurch model. You have spoken in many different venues, and you've stated, you know, pretty boldly that that has been something that we've done, we've abandoned. And something about coming here, you knew instinctively— in order to reach South Florida and the lostness that was here, we weren't going to be able to do that by just getting a few hundred more people to come to our downtown campus. Yeah, because look, in West Palm Beach area has exploded over the last 40 or 50 years. Our church was started in 1901 in downtown West Palm Beach, really close to where we are right now. And in those days, West Palm Beach, the whole Palm Beach County had about 25,000 people in it. And our church quickly grew from a little church plant in the first 20 years to about 1,500 to 2,000 people meeting right here on the property where we're meeting right now. But what's happened is over the last century, our county has grown from 25,000 people to 1.5 million people. And our church basically the entire time has been between 1,500 and 2,000 people at a downtown location. So what I basically did is I looked at our church and thought about the traffic patterns in Palm Beach County and why that is. Why has our church been stuck in basically the same place for, for 100 years? And that's when I became convinced that for us, the regional megachurch model is just not going to work. And so we began to think about how could we actually multiply faster and how could we actually reach all of the neighborhoods in South Florida? And that's where we came up with the idea of a network of neighborhood churches. So, look, we're not opposed to mega churches. You and right. I have both served in mega churches. All of our friends serve in mega churches. We're thankful there are mega churches in South Florida that we partner with. But we have decided for us the best way to scale up and reach the most people the fastest is to do a network of neighborhood churches. So we have abandoned the regional megachurch model. Steve, you've done a lot of study on the book of Acts, and we've learned a lot from the book of Acts. And I think you've done such a great job training our team and teaching our team 
about some lessons we can learn that we can apply here at Family Church. Would you just share that with our listeners a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jimmy, when you think about what happened in the book of Acts, we have recorded for us the greatest multiplying movement that the world's ever seen. In fact, it's still multiplying even today. And, you know, the Holy Spirit used just common, ordinary men. We see that in Acts 4.13. And the vision of those guys, I mean, as Jesus gave the commands and the commission in Acts 1.8 to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world, you actually see that lived out throughout the book of Acts. And all the way over to Acts 19.10, when Paul finally on his third missionary journey was able to go to, to Asia, historians tell us that demographically there were probably about anywhere from 12 to 14 million people that lived in that region. And if you read Acts 19.10, what actually happened was in a two-year period, every single resident, both Greek and Jew, had heard the gospel. And when you think about us living down here in the mission that the Lord's placed us in, we want to see every resident in every neighborhood have the same opportunity of hearing the gospel. And so that's something that we're striving to. And when you look at how they actually pulled that off, it wasn't with million-dollar budgets and projectors and light shows, right? I mean, these were just common practices and things that people were doing and the apostles were doing and lay people were doing that allowed them to, you know, really start this wonderful movement. Well, this whole idea that it wasn't the pros, it wasn't the apostles really stepping out there and doing it, it was the Joes. It was the lay people who were scattered after the persecution in Jerusalem that started the church at Antioch. And when the apostles found out about the church at Antioch, they're scrambling to try to gain control of the thing. And then that church at Antioch becomes the center of the mission impetus that really swept through the entire Roman world. So this is the thing that we've done, Stephen. You've really helped us with this. We've looked at people movements around the world. We've looked at church planting movements around the world. We have studied the book of Acts. But to be totally honest with you, I have heard about this a lot, and I have read about this a lot, but I'm ready to see it for myself. And what I want to happen here in South Florida, I don't want to just listen to other people talk about their people group movements. Honestly, I don't just want to read about it in the Bible. I want to see it right here, right Mm -hmm. now, in our lifetime, in our neighborhoods, in our city. And we live in one of the most diverse, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Seven million people living in a 15-mile-wide strip of land that's 100 miles long. It goes from Palm Beach County all the way to the Keys. There's people from every nation here. In our own county, over 30% of the people speak a language other than English in their home. If you go south of here into Broward and Dade County, it's a lot more than that. This is one of the most socioeconomically diverse places in the world. In our church, every Sunday, we have millionaires and billionaires sitting next to people on public assistance, and we have everything in between. We are in a true melting pot where the whole world has come. And I want to see happen here today what has happened in the book of Acts and what is happening around the world. And when we look at our county, 1.5 million people, and there's only a couple of hundred thousand of them that are connected with the church anywhere. That means we need to reach 1.3 million people with the gospel. And that means we're trying to plan a network of neighborhood churches. We have a goal of 100 churches, but that's not nearly enough. I mean, if you want to reach a million people with the gospel, you need a thousand churches that run a thousand, a thousand times a thousand. That's a million. That's what we need to do. And there's all these different kinds of neighborhoods. There's trailer parks and apartment complexes and condo complexes and gated communities and pockets of people that speak Russian and pockets of people that speak Portuguese and tons of people that speak Spanish and and French Creole. We need to reach every neighborhood with the gospel so that what happened in Acts 19.10 happens in our Mm, city today. 
every resident hears the gospel of Jesus. If they did it in the book of Acts and people are doing it in India and in China and in Africa and South America, why can't we do it right here in South Florida? And why can't our listeners do it in little towns and counties and cities all around North America and all over the world? This is what church for the rest of us is all about. Well, Jimmy, some of the things that we've been seeing happen here in South Florida, you know, really with First Baptist Church, now Family Church, it's really just been an amazing journey, an amazing ride. And you just watch this as it's unfolding and you're just, you know, you just have to be grateful and thankful to the Lord for what is happening here. And we're actually seeing a lot of wonderful things happen, a lot of wonderful stories and how God just really transforming lives. I mean, you think about our residency and all of the training things that we're doing. I mean, we're actually seeing just an army of men being raised up through all of our training programs and our, you know, pastoral training. I mean, you just think of guys like Rob Harry. I mean, we've got guys that came down here for recovery. Right. They're drug addicts. Drug addicts, heroin addict. He's got bullet holes in his body. And now he's in our residency training to be and he's a gonna pastor. plant a church. He's Absolutely. Gonna plant a church. And so those are all things that I'm very excited about. And I know that those are things that our listeners are excited about and things that they want to see happen in their church. And so our podcast really is about that. And that's what we're striving to do. You and I are relational and the guys that are listening to us today, these are people that we want to relate with and connect with and hope that we'll be able to do that. So Steve, most of what we've talked about today is the things that we've abandoned. We've talked about where we've come from at Family Church, but the real issue is not where we've come from and what we've let go of. The real issue is what have we embraced? And what we've embraced are simple, repeatable, transferable principles and ideas. And these are the things that we're going to be sharing in our church for the rest of us podcast. Because we believe that any church that's serious about making disciples can take some of these ideas, these strategies, these principles that we're going to talk about, and they can employ these ideas, these strategies. And we think some of our listeners are going to employ them and do them better than we're doing them. So we're going to end up learning from our listeners. Now, what we have chosen to abandon is the regional megachurch concept, but we have chosen to embrace is this network of neighborhood churches. So listeners, I hope you'll join us next week as we begin to talk about what it means to have a network of neighborhood churches trying to reach every resident right here where we live. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or Check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.